So a few months from now, which is weeks, right? A few months really is just weeks. So a few weeks from now, there's a group of about 16 of us who are scheduled to get on an airplane and fly to Quito, Ecuador, to Quito, Ecuador. And it's in Quito that we're going to then get on transportation and go to PIFO, Ecuador. Anytime you go anywhere on mission, here's my encouragement to you. Stop and try to find out everything you can about the spiritual climate of where you're going, right? What's happening with the church, what's happening with the gospel, what's going on. And if you can, does this make sense? If you can, try to go back and learn some of the history. And when you go back and look at the history of the gospel in Ecuador, it's incredible. You got to go back to 1952, Right, 1952, there were a group of people, a group of people got on an airplane, and they went to the same place we're flying into, Quito, Ecuador. So they arrived at the capital, and when they got to the capital, they stayed, and they started to learn the language and learn the culture. And in just less than four years, Jim Elliott, some of you know that name, Jim Elliott and the other missionaries went to be part of Operation Aka. Operation Aka. Operation Aka was to reach the Aka tribe. The Aka tribe was not the friendliest group of people you've ever seen. They were not super welcoming to outsiders. So what Jim and the others did, they're standing right in front of an airplane right here. These guys, they got on an airplane and they flew right above above the village. And then they threw out like care packages. Like their way of saying, hey, we come in peace. You know, we're giving you treats. And so they threw treats out the airplane. And then they set up camp just downriver of the Aka tribe. Well, it didn't take long until all of a sudden some of the villagers, like they kind of started getting close and they got closer and they got closer and then they kind of started to make friends. And so Jim and the other missionaries, they would take them up in the airplane and fly them. Can you imagine? This is a tribe. There's no electric. There's no water. And they were flying them around in an airplane church, like flying them around. Check this. And that had been crazy, right? And so they landed and you guys know that's where the story takes a tragic turn. Because Jim and four of the other missionaries were speared to death from some people uh, from the tribe. Jim's the one who said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And a lot of times when you're hearing this story, you guys are probably familiar with it. A lot of you are anyway. A lot of times when you're hearing this story, that's where pastors will stop. And then they're going to move on with the sermon right? It's like fade to black, roll credits. You know, that's it. That's the end. But that's not the end. You see, Jim's wife, Elizabeth, had a 10-month-old daughter at that point. Yeah. Had a 10-month-old daughter. She took her daughter and she lived right there with the people from the tribe for the next two years, teaching them the gospel, teaching them to forgive fearlessly, to love tremendously. I mean, this is amazing, isn't it? Like the the story of the gospel, it changed her. It changed Elizabeth. It changed her daughter. It changed that tribe. It changed Ecuador. As a person who has served three years overseas as a missionary, I'm going to tell you that story has changed missionaries today because of the faithfulness of their story. Speared to death. Now, I don't know, is it Jim's story or Elizabeth's story that makes more of an impact? Probably both. Right? Probably both. But here's the big question then that I think you and I, we have to wrestle with. How, how do we be faithful as Christians in the midst of suffering, no matter what that suffering may be? How do we, because probably, I say whatever that suffering may be, probably you and I, we will never face spears. 
right? When I go to Ecuador, we're staying up in Quito and Pifo, right? We're, we're not going down the jungles. We're staying up here. I tried to go to the jungle, and they told me no, just so you know. Like, I tried so hard. I'm like, no, this will be great. It'll be fun. We can go to the jungle. And they're like, no, Billy, you're not going to the jungle. So anyway, we're going to stay up here, right? We're not going down there. We're staying up here. We're probably, you and I will probably never face spears. It's not something that's going to happen. But yet, we will face, we will face suffering. So how do you remain faithful when you're going through suffering, no matter what that suffering may look like. Well, since we're in church, let's just be real. A lot of times in church, we just want to get the Sunday school answer. And the Sunday school answer is God. God's how we remain faithful. And some of you are really spiritual, so you're going to say the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh, right? The Holy Spirit's how you're going to remain faithful. But I want us to go one more step, and it's our big idea today. We can be faithful in suffering because Jesus was faithful even unto death. Jesus was faithful even unto death. And my friends, that's a game changer. That changes everything. So we're in a sermon series right now called Drift. Drift is about how the church can start to drift away from Jesus. And just so I'm clear, when I say the church, I'm, I'm really talking about you. And I'm talking about me. I'm talking about we as individuals, we as people, we, if we're not careful, we start to drift away from Jesus. And so in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, there's seven letters to seven churches that they're experiencing some type of drift. And so these letters are written to encourage or scold and reprimand to say, you're doing this. You need to get back on track to the ways of the Lord, which looks like this. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, we're going to look at the second letter, the second church. We're going to be in verses 8 through 11, the church at Smyrna, verses 8 through 11. All right, y'all, let's count. 8, 9, 10, 11. That, that's four verses. Right, that's only four verses. This is the shortest of all the letters. It is less than half the length of the longest letter, which is to the church of Thyatira. This is the shortest, only four verses long, and it's different. There's actually one other one, it's the sixth church. We'll get to that later. It's different than almost all the other letters. Again, most of the letters, you're doing this straighten it up, repent, turn from what you're doing, and get back onto the calling that Jesus has given us. Almost all, this one is not that way. This one is one that says you're going through persecution, you're going through suffering, you're going through trials, remain faithful. That's what's going on with this church. So very different, uh, a very different posture with this church than what you're going to see with the other churches. Uh, you'll want to write, the, if you're, some of you are you're like, kind of like church nerds, you know, like you like early church history. You want to write this down, Polycarp, like you know Polycarp. He was the bishop um, of this area in the second century. He was martyred around AD 156, which is only like 60 years after this. So again, this guy named Polycarp, was a bishop in this area. Sixty years later, he would be martyred to death. He would be killed. A bishop would be killed in this area. So it just tells you this is not, this is not an environment that says the church is suffering for two or three years and then things got better. This is decade after decade after decade after decade that they're going through some serious persecution and serious trials. That's the environment that we're reading. So let's do this. I'm going to read through 
verses 8 through 11, and then we'll just pause and start to dive deeper. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, Jesus, through John, says this, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear about what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So these few short verses show us three ways that as Christians, we remain faithful even in the midst of suffering. The first is we're reminded that Jesus is greater than death. Look down at the intro again in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write... The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. To the angel at the church in Smyrna. That's the introduction used for all seven of the letters, right? To the angel of the church and to the angel of the church. That word angel literally translates messenger, right? So not literal wings and warrior of the Lord, but person. This is a person. This is an individual. And so John literally would address this letter to this individual and send the letter to the individual. The individual would receive the letter, and then their job was to take the letter to the church where this letter would be read out loud for the whole church to hear. Does that make sense? Like, that's what's going on. And then Jesus says, let me identify myself before you go any further. He says, I'm the first and the last who died and came to life. This statement is packed with powerful truths for us today. Let's just start. I mean, this is enough to make your head pop, right? He says, I'm the first. Let's start with that. I am the first, meaning Jesus did not come from Mary. Jesus was before Mary. This is Jesus saying, I was there with the Father. I was there with the Spirit. There was no beginning. I was already there. I am the first. We could say, amen, let's go home. And you could think about that till your head just starts to bubble. I've done it before. You can try it if you want, but your head, you're just going to sit there staring and go, oh my goodness, right? That's what he said. He just said, I am the first, but he kept going, didn't he? He said, I am the last, meaning I did not end with the crucifixion. I did not end with the resurrection. That is not where I ended. In fact, there is no end. There's no beginning. There's no end. I am the first and the last. Do you hear that statement, church? Jesus is saying, I am one with God. It's almost the same description that you see in Revelation 1.8. With the Father, where it says that He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The first, the last, the beginning, the end. Do you see what's going on? Like, this is powerful. Jesus is saying, before we get any further, these next three verses, I just want you to understand who's talking to you. And so then He keeps going and says, I'm the one who died and came to life. He is boldly declaring to this church, I was the one who was crucified, Jesus says. I was the one who stayed in the tomb for three days. I am the one who conquered death, who conquered sin and came back to life. Do you know what encouragement this would be to this church? This is a church going through persecution. 
This is a church who's saying, you know, if we keep going down the road we're going, the result, very probable, is death. That's what's waiting for us. And Jesus says, you don't have to be afraid of that. I've conquered death. And so I'm saying to you, I don't know what kind of sufferings you faced. I don't know what you're facing right now. Some of you very probably, you're looking at as sufferings in your life, you're looking at trials in your life, and you're going, I don't know how all this ends. It could end in death. And the assurance we have is that through faith in Jesus, we serve the one who has conquered death, which means we can have eternal life. That's what's waiting for us. Through faith in Jesus, that's what's waiting for us. So first of all, we see that we can remain faithful in the midst of suffering because Jesus is greater than death. Next, we see that he crowns those who are faithful. He crowns those who are faithful. Look at verse number nine. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison, and you may be tested, and for 10 days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So after Jesus declares that he's greater than death, he tells the church of Smyrna, I know three things about your situation. I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, and I know the slander of what's being said against you. Why would he say that? Well, he says that to encourage them to say, you're not alone in this. Such an encouragement. I'm going to tell you this week, this week I was trying to process this sermon a, a little bit. And so I asked myself the question. I was like, Billy, have you ever experienced suffering? And I know you're probably so much different than I am. But here's what I did. As I asked myself that question, self, have you ever experienced suffering? I thought, well, there's this time, and there's this time, and there's this time. But then I almost hit the pause button like immediately. And I said, yeah, but that's not really suffering. Because as a pastor, you know, I've walked with this person, and theirs was way worse than mine. I'm sure, again, that you would never do that. But maybe, maybe you have. Maybe you've lost a job before. If you've ever lost a job, it hits you right in the gut because it attacks who you are. And, and, and you suffer, right? And you're going through that just trying to regain your self-worth and your self-identity. And you're, you're trying to work through it in your mind. And if I asked you today, did you suffer? Some of you would say, I mean, not really. The Lord still provides and you want to make it all spiritual and holy. And, you know, that person has it worse. And so what do you do? You suffer alone. That's what you do. Some of you right now or in the past, you've been sick or you're sick right now. And I mean like you're sick. Maybe the doctors don't even have answers. Maybe they do have answers, but you don't like their answers. Then if I asked you, are you suffering? You would say, well, you know, I mean, pastor, there's those who have it so much worse than I do. You know, I haven't lost my hair yet. And there's other people going through sicknesses in the hospital and you know, I, I haven't had all of that, and so I don't know. And so what do you do? You suffer alone. You got a relational struggle. You haven't talked to your mom or your dad in years. You had that friend, years. There's tension right now. And I said, are you suffering? If I asked you that, you would say, I, I mean, there's people worse off than me. And so then you would say, I don't know that I could say. And so you suffer alone. And look what Jesus just did. Jesus just said, hey, church, I know you're suffering, and I'm right here in the midst of it with you. You're not alone. 
You're not alone in your suffering. And church, I want to tell you the same thing. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you might be going through suffering. Some of you might be going through trials. And Jesus' word is telling us you're not alone. He's right in the midst of it with you. He is right in the midst of it with you. And he says, it's not just your trials, though. Do you see the next part? It's your poverty. It's your poverty. Although, even though they're in poverty, he says, you're actually rich spiritually. Now, I cannot imagine being a Christian in Smyrna at this time. It wasn't like this all across the, the world in the first century. In fact, you see the complete opposite in chapter 3 with Laodicea. They, those people were rich. They had all the money. And yet the Lord says, I don't want to get to chapter 3 and preach that yet, but he basically says you're spiritually bankrupt, and I'll just wait until chapter 3 for the rest of that. But Laodicea was the opposite. Smyrna, they, they were in a, in a culture where they were told, if you're Christian, you can't get a job. And you can't get a house. You can't. Can you imagine? Can you imagine because of your faith, because of what you look like, because of where you're from, like we're going to bankrupt you. We're going to financially ruin you. That's what we're going to do. We hate you so much. You're ruined. Can you imagine that? Total and complete financial ruin. Some of you, you're like, I don't understand that, but I understand poverty. I understand I don't, I don't know where dinner's coming from tonight. I, I just don't know what we're going to do for food. I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. And yet look at the encouragement that the Lord gives, that you're spiritually rich. You want to write this down, James 2.5. Look at James 2.5. It says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Church, I love, you can have... $5 million, $5, negative $5, like however much money you have or however much money you owe, every single one of us, we can be heirs of the kingdom. We are on level ground when it comes to the cross. Every single one of us are on equal footing. This is which has been promised to those who love him. That's why we lay up ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. We have a responsibility, you and I, and maybe... You have houses up north, and maybe you have big boats, and you have great toys. And I just want to say, that's awesome. Just invite me to go with you. You know, like, I'm all for it. You can, you can have all the toys, but let's never, ever, ever miss that our responsibility is to build spiritual wealth. Our responsibility is to build spiritual wealth. That's what we're supposed to be about. And what we see from the church at Smyrna is that's exactly what they were doing. There may have been suffering there, but they can remain faithful and spiritually in this moment they can be rich. And then the last thing that John writes is he writes that Jesus says, I understand that you've been slandered. He actually wasn't near as nice, was he? Here's what he says. He says, he says, you've been slandered by those who say they're Jews, but they're not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. All right, the election, let me just say the election is coming, and the political parties, they're not nice to each other, are they? They say mean things, like Republicans and Democrats, like they say mean things. I've never heard anyone say, you're a synagogue of Satan. Have you? I mean, I've heard mean things, but I haven't heard that. This is a mic drop from John right here. 
Like this is, this is like, I just want to tell you how evil and disgusting these people are being. Like this is harsh language. Do you hear? This is political, guys. The Bible doesn't always run from politics. This is political. And maybe you're sitting there going, why were the Jews so angry at the Christians in Smyrna? All right, let's just recap what's going on. The Christians in this area, here's what they've said. We believe that there's a Jewish carpenter named Jesus who is from Nazareth, Nowheresville. And he lived a perfect and sinless life. That alone would make the Jewish leaders want to tear the hair out of their beards. Like that, that was enough to send them over the edge. But they kept going. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And that's when the Jews, the Jewish leadership, your people, handed him over to the Romans to be crucified, to be tortured, to be nailed to a cross, to die the death of a thief. You put him in a tomb. You buried him where he stayed for three days. Oh, but the story doesn't end because on the third day, he conquered death. He conquered sin. He is the first. He is the last. He was dead, but now he is alive. And it is not doing your dance. It is not following your rules. It is by grace that you're saved through faith and not by works so that no one can boast. Faith in Jesus is what makes you right with God. Faith in a risen Savior is what makes you right with God. And so they looked at the, at the Jewish leadership and they said, you need to repent. You need to turn from the life that you've been living. You need to place your faith in Jesus. And they didn't like them saying that very much. And so they tortured them. They fed them to lions. They starved them. They financially starved them. That was the result. And just in case we're confused at who was the puppet master with all of this, look what's said. It's so crystal clear. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That's what John said. John says the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Don't miss this though. Notice what it doesn't say next. It doesn't say next, but Jesus said, oh, no, you don't have to go to prison. We all get to be happy. It, do it doesn't say that, church. And I think some people have such a struggle with Christianity for that reason right there. Because what we want to say is, God, why? Why is my relative who's suffering and sick and has cancer, why, why do they maybe die? Why this job thing? Why did I lose my job? Why? Why did I get hurt? Why? Why is this relational thing what it is? Why, why am I going through this trial, God? Why? Which brings up two things. First, church, this is not heaven. Everything you just said, do you know what you just said? You just said, Lord, I am aching and I am yearning for something better than where I am. I want that place with no tears. I want that place with no sorrow. I want that place where there's no death, where there's no sickness, where there's no disease. Lord, that's what I want. You just said, I want heaven. This is not that. This place that we're on, this place is broken. This place is temporary. This is not your home. You and I, we are aliens and strangers here. We're not supposed to stay here forever. I think that's point one. Point two, Jesus says, I'm allowing them to go through this so that God can be glorified. So that a bright light can shine on God's story. So I just want to encourage you in this. If you're going through suffering, if you've got family members going through suffering, will you just, just try this in your prayer? Will you just say, Lord, 
as horrible and awful as this is, whatever that thing is, I know you don't have to, but will you show me how you're glorified through it? I know you don't have to, but Lord, will you just show me how you gain glory from this? Again, there's at least six decades that these people are getting ready to face a persecution. Generation after generation after generation after generation. And look what an encouragement it is to us thousands of years later. It's incredible. Will you just pray that? Just pray, Lord, will you show me how you're glorified through it? Guys, it shouldn't shock us when we face trials. Jesus says, in this world, we're going to have trouble. We can count on the fact that in this world, we're going to have trouble. In fact, look at the life of Jesus. Jesus knows what it is to go through poverty. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He knows what it is to be slandered. He knows what it is to be accused. He knows what it is to be oppressed. And he was faithful and obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the name that is above every name, the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is victorious. He conquered death. He conquered sin. So my question is, have you been there? Have you been in that place of suffering? Have you been in that place of trial? Are you there right now? My encouragement to you is stop. Ask the Lord to show even through this trial how he's glorified. Remain faithful. Not kind of faithful. Not somewhat faithful. Remain wholeheartedly faithful to the Lord. Listen how Paul encourages the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. He says this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. It's not forever. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, right? They're just temporary. They're going to move on, but the things that are unseen are eternal, the last thing I want to point us to, how to remain faithful when you're suffering, is remember that Jesus removed the sting of death. Jesus has removed the sting of death. Look at verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The second death. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago, when you're reading apocalyptic literature, that sometimes there's language used as cryptic. The second death is not an example of cryptic language. Not at all. In fact, a lot of times when you're reading, and I've told you this, but I, wanna, I just want to keep saying it. When you read, read the full text. So read what's before what you just read and read what's after. If you read after, write this down, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20 verses 14 and 15 tells us what the second death is. It says that then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The only way to avoid the second death is through faith in Jesus Christ. 
the only way to avoid the second death is faith in Jesus Christ. And I, I really think this is one of our biggest struggles. In fact, if you said, Pastor, what do you think is the thing? What's the thing that stops people through faith in Jesus? I would say pride. I'd say pride. So it's almost August. August reminds me of two days. And uh, you guys, most of you know, I grew up in Oklahoma. And I love football. I'm not sure why I loved football, but I, I loved football. Now, in Oklahoma, it's hot during two-a-days. I just want you to know, I feel full Michigander now. Like, I am so soft. This morning, I walked the poodle, and I walked all around the block. And when I got back to the house, this is so true. I wish it wasn't true. I walked into the house. I'm like, I did. I looked at Amy, and I said, man, Amy, it's, it's hot today. I guess so huge. It's hot. I don't know what the temperature is. And I get in the car so we can drive here. And when I start the car, it says 72 degrees outside. <laughs> and I thought, man, I'm a baby. Like, <laughs> what happened to me? I'm like a Michigan guy now. 72. Woo, it's hot out there. Um, I mean, it wasn't like that in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, two days, I'm not making this up, triple digits, 98% humanity. It's like a wet blanket. And the grass, the grass was crunchy, guys, because in Michigan, if your grass starts to die, you water it, and it turns green. In Oklahoma, your grass dies, it's dead. Like, you can't, you water it, and it's still dead. Like, you can water it, and it's still dead. It's not coming back to life until next season. It's dead. And so you walk, and it's crunchy. And I'll never forget as a freshman, it's traumatizing, right? As a freshman, you look at all the men playing football. You know, they're 16 and 17, and they have gold helmets. You're a freshman, you get a white helmet, you know? And that just means, like, target practice for those guys. And um, I remember... I remember running around thinking, like, this is awful. Like, they're so much bigger than me. They're stronger than me. It's hot. I can't breathe. And somewhere along the way, you process, like, maybe I should quit. But here, and maybe you don't do this. Here's what I said. I looked at those guys, and I said, whatever. I'm not going to quit. If they can do it, I can do it. You ever been there? It's called pride, just so you know. Like, that's what that is. That's pride. Some of you, you've done the Tough Mudder. Raise your hands. Okay. Tough Mudder people, you know, like, you're going through. If you don't know what the Tough Mudder thing is, it's crazy. Like, you don't just run, which is bad enough. Like, you run, and then they're going to shock you, you know? And then, and then you run, and you're going to get in the dirt, and it's going to get into your fingernails and in your ears and your nose, and it's just mud and nasty, and then you're going to climb up. Well, it just, it's, it's crazy town. And the moment you're thinking, man, why am I doing this? I can just quit and call it good. You look over and you see her run and do that thing and you're like, well, she can do it. I can do it. Some of you have been in the military and you went through basic or you went through boot camp, right? And here's what happens. It's two in the morning and that friendly individual comes in with the trash can and the stick to wake you up and say good morning. Isn't that nice of them to say good morning like that? And they say good morning and you're all over. It's two o'clock in the morning and you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then you look over. Now, some of you, you know, you're noble and you're like, well, you know, for my brothers or my sisters or, you know, whichever, you know, and you're like, we're a team and we're going to do it. But yeah, right. Others, your legs are cramping. It's 2 a.m. And you're like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. They're not quitting. I'm not quitting. There's no way they're that much stronger than I am. And, and, And pride, right? It's pride. 
And unfortunately, I think that's what people do with faith. I think what we do is we go through trials, we go through sufferings, we go through, we say the helping hand I'm looking for is at the end of my arm. To get made right with God, like I'm just going to be good. I'm going to pray more, I'm going to give more, I'm going to go to church, I'm just going to be good. And just, I want to tell you something because I love you, that is wrong. That is wrong. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. The only way you get a right standing with God is by faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So let me tell you the truth. The truth today is that God loves you. He completely loves you. You've blown it. You know that. Like you've missed the mark. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have sinned. You have sinned. We all have sinned. We have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. Did you hear what what Revelation said? I said, because of sin, we die a second death into the lake of fire. There's a separation forever between us and God. That's what sin does. A forever separation between us and God. But here's the incredible part of the story. Right then, while you and I were still sinners, Christ came and he lived that perfect and sinless life. And you heard what he said, the first and the last He rose, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he rose again. Even even in that spot where we're still sinners, he died for us. To be made right with God is by placing your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's nothing you can do, it's what Jesus has already done on the cross. And so I just want to end this morning by praying for you all. You see, there's some of you in here right now that you are going through suffering. And maybe you haven't told anyone about it. I just want to pray for you to have boldness, maybe to open your life a little bit and allow others in to help, to allow others to have the opportunity to say, I'm here with you. You're not doing this on your own. I want to pray for you just to continue to be faithful to the Lord, even in that suffering, whether it's financial, whether someone's slandering you, whether it's it's physical, whatever it is you're going through, just that you continue to remain faithful to the Lord. Some of you are doing great right now, right? Some of you are like... Man, Pastor, that was heavy, but I'm good right now. Like, everything's good. Everything's God's. And uh, it's good when he gives us breathers, isn't it? Like, it's so good. I just want to pray a prayer of thanksgiving over you, like thanking him that you're in that sweet spot right now. But I want to pray that you have the mind of Christ. So what Scripture encourages us to, to have the mind of Christ. And in that, you're able to see people the way he sees people. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in this church. Maybe it's in your neighborhood, at work. Just that you really have a sensitivity and you, you can see where people are. And that you're not afraid to press in a little bit. I mean, not be weird. Not, don't, don't be weird. Don't do that. Don't, just pray for discernment. That's going to be my prayer for you. That you know when to speak and when to be silent. You know when to bring food. You know when to give money. You know when to mow a lawn. You know when just to give a hug and say, I love you. And you can do it. Keep going. I want to pray for you to have discernment. And finally, to individuals in here that have never placed your faith in Jesus, I, I just want to pray a prayer of encouragement for you that you're bold enough to take that step today. Lord, I do thank you for today, for the gift of being able to be here together as a church. Lord, I know I have brothers and sisters in this room and they are suffering. First and foremost, I pray that for anyone in this room that continues to cling to sin, that they're not afraid to cut the sin off and repent and turn from the sin. 
But Lord, for those who are suffering, I pray that they hear your voice this morning, not mine, but they hear from you. And they're encouraged that they're not alone. No matter if it's financial, physical, relational, if there's been slander, that Lord, they're, they're not alone. That you're right in the middle of it with them. And Lord, more than that, that they're able to look around at this church and that they have the courage and the confidence to say, maybe not to everybody in this room, but to be able to say to this group, I trust you and I want to invite you in to be part of this with me. I don't want to suffer by myself. I trust my church. I love my church. Lord, we thank you so much for those where things are going great right now. For those who would say, maybe there's been a season where there's been some trials, but just life seems to be going so, so good right now. Lord, will you give us eyes to see, ears to hear? Will you give us the mind of Christ? We want to think through the filter like, like you would, Lord. We, we want to walk in your steps. We want to see people the way that you do. So will you show us those areas where we need to press in relationally? And maybe it's going to be uncomfortable for us because we're going to get in people's space a little bit more than they're comfortable. Lord, we just don't have time on this earth to sit around and wait until everybody's comfortable. We will live out the calling that you've given us. So help us to be a church family. Help us to be brothers and sisters like you've called us to. So show us where we need to press in just a little bit more. Show us where we're supposed to be patient. Show us where we're supposed to keep our mouths closed. Show us where we need to hug. Show us where we need to serve. Show us where we need to give and then give us the boldness to do it. Lord, for those that have never placed their faith in you, they don't need me for this. But um, Lord, I just pray that they're able to hear from you so crystal clearly this morning. That there's no confusion. You're not a God of confusion. And Lord, in this quiet place, you're able to say, I believe. God, I believe that you love me. Even though I'm a mess, sometimes you love me. Even though I'm a little bit prideful, you, you love me. And that they're able to recognize that they've sinned, Lord, that they've fallen short of perfection. And God, can you just speak to them in such a real way today to let them know that's why Jesus came? And maybe they come to that spot of saying, I believe. I believe that Jesus lived that perfect and sinless life, that he is the first, the last, that he conquered sin and death and rose again. And Lord, give them the freedom in this place to say, I'm placing my faith, my trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Lord, thank you for continuing to um, be patient with us. Thank you for continuing to work in and through us. I hope we're a better reflection of Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Church, at this time, I want to invite you to stand as we close our morning and worship together.